Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we might know you and live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, we pray that now you'll help me to speak clearly and all of us to listen attentively so that we might understand your word and put it into practice in our lives. Amen. Uh, I once heard a story about someone who was reflecting on listening to the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones and he he commented that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones had been preaching through one of Paul's letters. He thought from memory it was an M. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was known for working very slowly through his biblical text. This morning will not be one of those days. Uh, If you want to hear a sermon on a very small portion of text, come back next week and I'm going to try and preach on a single verse. But today I'm actually going to go the other way and I'm preaching on Romans. Uh, Chase, I'm sure most of us have heard Chase say you can preach on any size uh, chunk of text. Well, I'm going to test that theory and... So when it doesn't work, you can all go blame Chase. What difference does it make when someone believes the gospel? Uh, Imagine you you take someone through two ways to live. You get to the end and you say, so how do you want to live? They say, I want to become a Christian. And, And you pray together and they become a Christian. They put their faith in Jesus. Now what? What changes? As you sit there looking at them, Nothing changes. But what is it that needs to change in their life? Should anything change? They're saved by faith in Christ. Can they just walk away and that's the end? What difference does the gospel make to your life? Romans 1, 16. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Do you hear that? Live by faith. The gospel requires us to go out and live in a certain way. So what is this gospel that Paul preaches? Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he's he's not really big on formal rhetoric, so unfortunately this is going to be a four-point sermon as we break Roman down into its four parts. But point one, the first thing we need to know to understand Paul's gospel is all people sin. Sin begins with the rejection of God and misbehaviour, all the things we do, that follows after. So if you look at the end of Romans chapter 1, verse 29... uh, They, that's people, have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. It's a catalogue of all sorts of horrible behaviour. But where does it all begin? Well, you've got to actually go back to verse 18 of that same chapter, Romans 1. I'm going to keep jumping around a bit. Try to have your Bibles open, try to keep up. Romans 1:18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth with by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Do you hear where the problem of sin begins? It begins with knowledge of God that is rejected and put away and not acted upon and denied. That is, our sin begins with the rejection of God. All of the behaviours that we see at the end of Romans 1, they follow as a result. But that's not where our problem lies. Our problem lies in our false worship. That's why we often describe sin as rebellion against God, is because that's the beginning of our sin. Sin is a failure to worship God correctly, and all of the sinful behaviour that we see toward the end of the chapter, that's the consequence of that wrong worship. We see this downward spiral through, the, through chapter 1. Verse 22, we see people exchange. Verse 24, God gave them over. 20, verse 25, people exchange. Verse 26, God gave them over. Verse 26, people... Still 26, people exchange. Verse 28, God gave them over. We have this downward spiral as people reject God and reject his ways and get deeper and deeper into sin. It's always tempting, brothers, to think that we might be different to others. But that's the whole argument of chapter 2 of Romans, is there are no exceptions. Not even those who have God's word. In fact, not even those who teach God's word are different. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Whether you're Jewish whether you're Gentile, whether you are teaching the word of God, you are not righteous. Brothers, we need to understand that this is our problem. We see people around us who are quick to condemn others, but we see it in ministry too, as people feel that they should get a free pass and that their sins aren't really so bad. But brothers... We all share this problem. There is no one who is righteous. And that needs to be the foundation of our Christian life, in a sense, is that recognition of our sin and our unworthiness. You see, if we don't understand that that's our real problem, we're going to end up with the wrong gospel. If you don't understand your sin, the gospel that you believe and teach will end up solving a different problem. See, back when I was a student here at Moore College, uh, I woke up one morning uh, with severe chest pains, um, really painful right here. And so I got myself to RPA and they hooked me up to all, you say chest pains, they take you straight in, there's no waiting period. They hook you up to all the machines uh, and everything seemed normal. And after a couple of hours, a doctor came in and said, have you had any painkillers? And I'm thinking, yes, it hurts. I want some painkillers. I said, uh, no, I haven't had any this morning. I've, I've been taking them for the last few days because I've got an infected wisdom tooth. And he said, ah, well, that's the problem then. Those painkillers you're on, they've stripped away the lining of your stomach 
and stomach acid is attacking the stomach wall. The painkillers are causing the problem. <laughs> See, if I'd taken the painkillers because I thought my problem was pain, I just would have made things worse. If you get the problem wrong, your solution will be wrong. I went to hospital thinking maybe there's something wrong with my heart, but no, it was with my wisdom tooth. But it was all sorted. I went home, no harm done. I just missed my Greek 2 exam. <laughs> but who needs Greek? <laughs> See, it's critical we understand our problem of sin, that our hearts reject God, because if we don't understand that problem, we end up with the wrong solution. If you think the problem is your behaviour, you'll look for ways of changing your behaviour as the solution. You get angry too easily. Say you'll go to an anger management course. Now, look, anger management courses can be very useful, but the heart of your problem is always how you are relating to God. And so you need to start there. Start with the way that you are relating to your Creator. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So you see, we all have this one problem of sin. We all share one problem, whether you're Jew, Gentile, whoever you are, all humanity has one problem and therefore we have one gospel, one solution and that is that God justifies us. He declares that sinful people are righteous. They're given this right legal standing before him as a gift. Do you feel the weight of that, brothers? That God gives unjust people this righteous status? I think sometimes we can quickly move to the fact, well, God forgives without feeling just how horrific that can be, that he can declare a sinner to be righteous. How can he look at an evil human being and just excuse what they have done? Uh, Comrade Duke was Pol Pot's executioner in Cambodia. He was personally responsible. He oversaw a prison that executed 14,000 people, men, women, children, many children. This man was a mass murderer of the worst sort. How could God look at him and say, he is righteous in my sight? Because that was a, he was a man who came to Christ before he died. How can God look at him and say, you're righteous? Verse 25, Romans 3. But God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You see, it's only through Christ's sacrificial death that sinners can be saved. Only in Christ can people like you and me be forgiven. See, in another context, I'd want to spend a lot of time here talking through justification by faith. But I, I suspect where we are, who I'm speaking with, 
That's something we understand. And you'll notice that we're still only a quarter of the way through Romans at this point. But brothers, don't leave justification by faith behind. That is the foundation on which everything else that Paul says through the book of Romans will be built. Our problem is sin. We are justified by faith. But because we have, we've been justified by faith, point three, our gospel is not only this new legal status that we are justified, but we're given new life as God's children. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have this new relationship with God. We're at peace with him. And because who we are depends upon our relationships, a new relationship with our creator makes us into new people in Christ. Romans 5.19, just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous will be made righteous. We're not just talking about the declaration that sinners are righteous, but in the future we will be remade into people who are in ourselves righteous as we're raised from the dead. It's a future reality that we look forward to where our righteousness will be real within our lives. Now, we all know that right now, we still experience the power of sin in our lives and we still stumble and get it wrong and we feel the oppression of sin. That's Romans 6 and 7. Uh, but Romans 8, who we really are is this new person. We are adopted as God's children. And Romans 9 to 11 tells us that that was God's promise to Israel all along. This was the gospel that he promised to give them, the salvation that they've been waiting for. This was the fulfilment of all of his promises. This new life that we have in Christ as we look forward to resurrection from the dead. See, we've got one problem of sin, but we've got one hope for all nations. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The resurrection from the dead. Now, brothers, is that your hope? Now, we all know the right answer, don't we? We all know, yes, yes, my hope is in the resurrection. But I'm not asking, do you know where your hope should be? Where is your hope for the future? Do you hope to one day own a house? Do you hope to have a good, secure job, a successful ministry? Brothers, those hopes will all let you down. That can be good things. I'm not saying you, know, you can't have them. But is that where your hope lies? Is that what you look forward to? See, if, you, if your hope is for a house, as it is for so many of the people in the world around us, just drives people's lives, this desire to have own property, you may never afford a house, if you, especially if you're working in ministry. But even if you do, that house is going to have problems and that house is going to decay and it will fall down one day. And even if it's after you're gone, 
that house is not going to save you as your health fails and as you face death. If you put your hope in your church ministry and what it is you're going to do as a gospel minister and you're going to be a great preacher, it, that hope will let you down. Your church, churches are great, but your church will let you down. Brothers, is your hope firmly in the resurrection of the dead? Because you can't have it both ways. You can't place your hope in this world and in the resurrection. And that's the tension we live with is that we struggle to put our hope where we ought to. But brothers, can I urge you? Your hope in Jesus will not let you down. Romans 8.20 For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The hope we have in Jesus is imperishable. We will be made imperishable. I know you all know this. But keep reminding yourselves, because as the things of this world let you down, you will need to keep coming back to this hope that we have in Christ and in his resurrection. Our problem is sin. We are justified by faith and that gives us new life and a hope in Christ. But what do we do while we wait for the fulfilment of that hope? Well, because we're living a new life, brothers, we love one another. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see it? Don't live the old way. Live the new way, this new life that you've been given. Paul's gospel tells us that we've been justified by faith. We have this hope for the future, but our new lives are to be lived now by loving one another. We see it especially in chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, there are many ways we could talk about that. I'm going to focus on one in particular. And I think we see, that, we see this example, particularly in chapter 14, verse 1. This is how we're to love one another. Accept those who are weak in faith, sorry, those whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputed matters. Brothers, can I encourage you? Hold your convictions firmly. Uh, the word of God is reliable the things you know are good hold firmly don't be fuzzy about what you believe but as you come to people you disagree with love them now in some areas I think we do this quite well I think you know 
There, I know there are different views on baptism in this room. There are different views within the faculty. And I think we love one another well in light of that disagreement. There are other areas where in Sydney Anglican circles, maybe we don't do so well. Uh, for example, attitudes to women preaching. Uh, I've seen people fail to love one another when they've disagreed over that issue. People on both sides of the argument. Now, I'm not saying we should be fuzzy or hold less firmly to our convictions. It's the world who says that in order to love one another, we have to agree and, you know, if you disagree, that's the definition of hatred. No, hold your conviction, but don't look down on one another when you find the thing that you disagree about. Brothers, look at the people either side of you. You will disagree with one another. If you don't know what you disagree about yet, it's because you haven't yet had the detailed conversation about the particular thing, but you will find things to disagree about. When you do, when you disagree, don't let it become a dispute between us and them, the good guys and the bad guys. Love one another as brothers and approach it with humility and generosity. Even in the case where it turns to a gospel issue, you might no longer be able to be in fellowship as brothers. But love doesn't condemn and look down on the other. Love begs for repentance. Calls the other to come back to Christ. So brothers, as you disagree, be humble, be generous and be loving. Basically, don't do what social media does. So what was Paul's gospel? I'm almost done. Paul's gospel is the answer to sin. It is justification by faith. It is hope of new life in Christ. And it is to love one another. Brothers, we have been given this gospel of faith, hope and love. So, can I urge you, live in faith in Christ, in hope of the resurrection, and with love for one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel of faith, hope, and love. We pray that as we put our trust in Christ, we may live in hope, and that we may live lives of love for one another. Amen.